and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is joining the Fans First Sports Network as part of the Bleacher Bunch Productions, joining great shows like the Sun Ranto Show, Cup of Cubby Blue, and Baseball Rabbit Hole. In the coming weeks, I'll begin to move the podcast under that umbrella. I'm excited about the change, and I have all of you listeners to thank. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Love the pod or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. You can also support the Cubs PS Plus podcast through Patreon at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com. There are multiple support tiers and Patreon members will always have access to ad-free episodes plus additional perks. Welcome into episode 57, the Rocky Cherry episode of this podcast. Rocky Cherry is an all-time great baseball name and he pitched in 12 games for the Cubs in 2007. Today I talk about pitching, what the Cubs did well in 2023, where they struggled, and what they need to do this offseason to get better. Let's dig deep into velocity, strikeout rates, barrel rates, whiff percentages, and see what the numbers tell us. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. So today on Sunday, the day I'm recording, it's been seven years since the Cubs beat the Dodgers in Game 6 of the National League Championship Series in 2016. And that day, I mean, I think we all remember where we were. I mean, right over my shoulder, I've got the at last from when the Cubs won the World Series. But to get to the World Series, the Cubs had to get through the Dodgers. And the Cubs had to get through the playoffs. And in my lifetime, the playoffs was the time that everybody clenched up. That's why we saw 2003. That's why we saw 1984. Um, some years they weren't good enough. You know, I don't. I, I think the Giants were better in 1989. I think the clearly the Braves were better in in. 1998 when the Cubs got the wild card. Well, I think the Cubs were better in 2007, 2008. They got swept both years, so there's really you know nothing close that the Cubs can really compete and worry about. So, you know, when we go through the playoffs, up until 2016, everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, it was Leon Durham and Steve Garvey in 1984. You know, it was obviously the Alex... Alex Gonzalez game in 2003. I won't even mention the other thing. But we get to 2016, and it finally seems like our year. You know, the, the Cubs beat the Giants in the first round of the play, in the division series. You know, three games to one. That series could have gone five. You know, the Cubs had to rally, make a big rally in the ninth to take the lead and get that game. Who knows? You know, they come back to Wrigley for game five in that series. It probably would have been, you know, Cueto again. Who knows what the Cubs do, but they won. And that's the important part. And I think, you know, going through that NLCS, the Cubs felt like the better team the whole time. You know, there were some slumps. There were some times the Dodgers gave them problems, but it just sort of felt like the Cubs were going to make it happen, which was, was a new feeling for me. And I won't spend too much time on it, but that, you know, that day was really special for me. So we had really good friends of ours, next door neighbors who got married that day. And we were going to the wedding reception that night. You know, game six of the of the NLCS, Cubs could clinch a trip to the playoffs for the or to the World Series for the first time since 1945, and I'm at a wedding reception. You know, there were there were some TVs there in the beginning. There weren't, um, but my you know the the groom was a baseball fan as well. They eventually made it on, but 
you know, I'm hanging out with a buddy of mine, my friend Gene, who went to opening day with me this year, um, friend of the podcast. And he, he and I were kind of checking our phones. You know, my, my son was, my oldest son was home. He was almost 13 at the time. You know, he was really invested in that 2016 team. And so he was watching the game and he promised he would send us updates. And once the TV did come on and we were kind of tracking the game, it was still, you know, I never told my son, he was sending us the updates and it was really, really cool and a really, really fun experience to see that game through his eyes. Like the excitement that he had when Wilson Contreras hit that home run off um, Clayton Kershaw, when the Cubs knocked Kershaw out, you know, the Cubs just kept pouring it on and pouring it on. Kyle Hendricks pitched an absolute gem and even though I was kind of watching the game, I really mostly watched that game through my kids' eyes. And that was, it's a memory that'll stick with me uh, probably for the rest of the time. And yeah, that set the Cubs up for that 2017 world series run, which I'm sure, you know, maybe I record next week. Maybe it'll be the anniversary of a particular day and, and we'll get into it again. But while we're on the topic of Kyle Hendricks, you know, this episode is going to be all about pitching. I want to talk through what the Cubs did well this year, where they struggled and while I'm not going to get into who the Cubs should add, that's plenty of discussion later once we start to figure out which teams picked up guys' options, which players picked up their options, and kind of how things are looking. I think we can talk through at this point and look at what the Cubs did during the 2023 season and take a look at what they need, what they have, what they need, and, and kind of the direction they should go in the postseason. So, But we'll start with Kyle Hendricks. So Kyle is reportedly working with the Cubs on a contract extension. So his situation right now is that he has a team option for 2024 at $16 million. And I think the way he pitched this season, it's kind of a no brainer to pick it up. I mean, he came back. I wasn't confident he was going to be back. You know, he had the capsular tear in his shoulder. He hadn't pitched well in 2021. Um, towards the end of the season, he did not pitch well at all in 2022. And really after about June was just on the shelf, they were trying to avoid surgery. He did various things, you know, went on throwing program in the off season, but there was a guy who never threw hard and was also losing velocity. And as he described himself, you know, he lost that difference between his fastball and his changeup. You know, he when, when he was younger and healthier, you know, he could, routinely push it up to about 90. He wasn't consistently living at 90, but he could get there. And he was living, you know, 87, 88. And his changeup would come in, you know, 82 to 85. But as the tear took away some of his velocity, you know, his velocity is down to 85, 86. And now his, you know, his changeups at not really an appreciable difference. And that, you know, he lives on that difference. Even if even if the difference is small, that subtle difference is what makes the difference between somebody squaring him up and somebody popping him up. Somebody hitting a hard line drive or somebody getting on top of it and beating a ball into the ground. And this year we saw that Kyle Hendricks was back. He could hit 90 miles an hour. Again, not consistently. He didn't live there. But he was hitting there and he was consistently throwing, you know, 86 plus, which gave him that difference again off with his changeup to go off. So I think picking up that option is a no brainer. I think, you know, we'll get into it, but every team going into every season needs to have nine to 10 or more options who can start games for you. You're going to have your starting five. I get that, but there are always going to be injuries. You know, the Cubs in 2022 put together a team 
maybe could have flirted with 500. Maybe if everything broke right and they caught lightning in a bottle, maybe they could have made a run at a wild card. But they didn't because in the first half, nothing went right. Hendricks was hurt. Stroman was hurt. Drew Smiley was hurt. One pitcher after another had injuries or struggles. And while it kind of got righted in the second half, it was way too late. You know, the Cubs were out of the race early. And this past year, the Cubs came in with a deeper rotation. You know, I think the bottom end was better than, you know, what they had last year. But now as we head into 2023, it looks like, and again, you know, Marcus Stroman hasn't exercised his option, but I assume he will. The Cubs have not made a move on Hendricks, but I assume he's either going to get that contract extension, which is likely to be, and the reason they would do the extension is not because they want to lock up Kyle Hendricks for, you know, some long term. He's not getting, you know, a six-year extension at this point. But that option is for $16 million. What they will probably do is do like a two-year option or a two-year contract extension that gets Kyle Hendricks more total money, but maybe knocks that average annual value down to, you know, 10 to $12 million. So maybe a two-year $20 million contract, two-year $24 million contract, you know, 20 to $24 million is more than Hendricks would get with the one-year 16. But that maybe takes him into retirement. Maybe there's some performance clauses in there where, you know, if he pitches well enough or racks up enough innings, maybe there's a third year that could vest, something like that. Um, I wouldn't expect Kyle Hendricks to pitch any more than two to three more years, barring some, you know, major resurgence if he's competing for Cy Young's again, you know, who knows. But at this point, I think Kyle Hendricks is a very solid back-of-the-rotation starter who could fill that role on just about any team in baseball, no matter how good the staff is. I mean, he's a guy who has shown he can get outs. He's not going to dominate you most of the time. He's he's certainly not going to dominate you with strikeouts, but he can get outs. He's shown that time and time and time again, and he's a really good pitcher in big games. So we'll assume he's back. The Cubs have Jamison Tyone under contract for three more years. Jordan Wicks looked really good at the end of the season. Now, you know, he'll still be a rookie in 2023. There's no guarantee he makes the opening day starting rotation. And we've certainly seen guys before come in with some flash, you know, have a quick start and then fall back a little bit. You know, maybe that happens with Wicks. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, We have Javier Assad. He threw really well at times this year. You know, he was nails in the in the World Baseball Classic coming out of the bullpen for Team Mexico. You know, he just ate through the U.S. lineup, pitched really well there. And then during the season, he bounced roles, and that's probably going to continue to be his role. Javier Assad is a guy who can pitch out of the bullpen. He can be a long man. He can go eat multiple innings. He can spot start. He can even jump into the rotation and fill in for an injury and be, you know, pretty good. Um, we'll get more into him. I think he, he's he got a really unique profile, and, and he's kind of a good example of what the Cubs have had over the last five years, while some other guys are maybe more of a example of the direction the Cubs want to go. You know, Ben Brown was somebody who maybe instead of Jordan Wicks, people thought would come up late in the season to help you know bolster that rotation, especially once Marcus Stroman was out. He had his own injuries, um, so he did not make it up, but he's certainly going to be in play for next year. I'm not sure Hayden Wisniewski is done as a starting pitcher. I know he's been inconsistent at best as a starter with the Cubs. He's shown some good things out of the bullpen, so I think bullpen could absolutely be a solid role for him. But I think there's there's some things to watch for, and I think he could make a step this year and come back as a starting pitcher. But I, I think this year will tell the tell the tale. 
last year we were kind of here with Keegan Thompson. Keegan, you know, had some injuries, regressed a little bit. We'll see what becomes of him. But he's no longer a starting pitching candidate. And even if Wisniewski is largely out of the bullpen, he's still a guy who can come in, spot start after a doubleheader. You know, if, if a guy's not feeling great and maybe the Cubs aren't going to put him on the IL to miss, you know, two to three starts, just going to miss one start. Wisniewski's a guy that can come in, get the ball, give you four to six potentially. Cade Horton is another fascinating pitcher we're all really excited for. He's He is currently widely regarded as the number one pitching prospect in baseball at this point. Uh, Cubs draft him, drafted him in 2022 out of Oklahoma after a college career just loaded with injury problems. He came back his last year at Oklahoma and pitched okay in the regular season, but then just absolutely tore it up in the NCAA tournament and college world series. I mean, he was fantastic. He has tremendous arm talent, major velocity, major movement on his pitches. And he's, he's a guy who projects as a potential literally staff ace, you know, in a ace in baseball ace, not just, you know, number one on a bad rotation. Like he's a guy who could come in and dominate. He has flown through the Cubs system. He got up to double A by the end of this year. I think the big thing with Cade Horton is we're going to want to watch what the Cubs do with him in terms of workload. So he's a guy who already has a pretty significant injury history. So this isn't just babying a guy, you know, like they really have to take that seriously and, and try to keep him healthy. And in college, he pitched 53 innings. So his last year at OU, he pitched about 53 innings. This year, the Cubs, across the three levels he pitched, he pitched 88 and a third innings. So that's a pretty significant jump from 53, but you know, 88 is not 150. And I wouldn't expect him to jump all the way up to 150. I, I don't know what the, the Cubs haven't said what their target is. I don't know what their target is, but judging by how they've handled guys in the past. My guess is they would probably target hoping to get him up to about 120, maybe 130 innings. That's about where Justin Steele was uh, before this season. You get a guy, you work him back. And so what I expect to see, like I would be shocked if Cade Horton is in the Cubs opening day rotation. You think back to what the Washington Nationals did with Steven Strasburg. And hopefully... Kate Horton can be as good as Steven Strasburg was at his best, but hopefully he does not have ultimately the career that Steven Strasburg has had with all the injuries. But what the Nationals got into with Strasburg when he came up, they were talking about pitch counts and inning limits on the season, but they were talking about that in May and June. So they had him up early as a major part of that team. Those were there were a couple teams that could have maybe been playoff teams if they had kept Strasburg in the rotation. But they didn't. They were giving him rest. They did a couple minor IL stints, things like that. What I think the Cubs will do with Horton is certainly start him in the minors, but I think he might even start on extended spring training. Stay back on the complex, maybe through the month of April. At some point in May, get assigned up to probably double A, maybe triple A, and then go from there. So you've chopped a month off the season already. Start his season a little bit later, and then hopefully he can just pitch on a regular rotation through the end of the season and then what that would do probably is you know he would get into game action in may june kind of you know hopefully he if he starts in double a maybe makes a move up to triple a or maybe he just dominates in double a and they leave him there because you can call a guy up from double a and then he might be a guy who's available in the second half to come up for the cubs and whether it's and you know if he's pitching well and the cubs don't have a ton of injuries 
maybe he's a guy that late in the season is he's creeping up on, you know, 100, 110 innings and the Cubs don't really want him to maybe continue starting in the minors. Maybe he comes up and pitches out of the pen. You know, they, they'd be careful pick of their spots, but certainly could use his elite stuff in his um, swing and miss to help in the bullpen. And there are also some others. Drew Smiley is a guy who was in the starting rotation to start this year and got off to a quick start. I don't think the Cubs have any plans on starting him next year. I think it's very clear looking at his career history that he kind of he's never really been able to successfully cross about 100 innings. So I think he's a guy who can spot start. You know, again, like like I said with Assad, if if the, he's in the bullpen and Stroman or Steele or Tyone or somebody has got some soreness or they got a blister or whatever and they're going to miss a start, you know, Smiley's a guy that can do that without, you know, if there's no IL stint, you don't really want to make a roster move, you just pull Smiley out and he can start and he can give you four or five innings. Um, but he can't be any kind of plan to be in the rotation in 2024. So looking just at the rotation... When you look at the Cubs starting pitching, well, let, let's back up. Let's look at the Cubs pitching as a whole. So when you look at this as a whole, I don't necessarily love ERA as a measure, but when you're talking about the entire pitching staff over the course of a season, noise washes itself out. Certainly there are some unearned runs. But when you look at the Cubs' ERA, they were average. They were their ERA of 409. They were 14th in baseball. Um, you start getting into some of the advanced numbers. I mean, you know, K's per nine, they don't have a lot of swing and miss in that rotation. They were 19th in baseball at 8.63. You know, with walks, they were a little bit better. Again, about league average, 3.22 walks per nine. They did not give up a ton of home runs. That's something we'll get up into later. They were sixth in baseball in, in fewest home runs. They gave up about 1.12 homers per nine. You know, so the overall numbers from the rotation were... Average to decent, you know, probably if we chopped the last month off, you know, Steele struggled his last few starts. They had guys getting tired, you know, the beginning of the season, they were really good. You know, if we look at ERA minus, you know, Milwaukee led baseball at an ERA minus of 85. So ERA minus is a stat where 100 is league average, but because it's got that minus on the back end of it, you want to be low. It's almost like golf. So 85 is 15% better than average. And the Cubs came in at 95. So the Cubs were 5% better as a starting rotation, you know, than average. And you look at fit minus, you know, very similar. Fit minus, they were 96. Now that's a little bit lower in terms of baseball. It's 13th, so kind of average. And you, if you look at expected fit, you know, expected fit minus, they're the same place. They're 12th, they're 96. So the Cubs, as a starting rotation, were a little above average, but they just – there were lots of balls in play. Now, with this defense, that can be a good thing. You know, they got this year they had Cody Bellinger and Mike Talkman in center field. Cody Bellinger was pretty elite defensively. Mike Talkman wasn't as good, but he was pretty solid. Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner probably should both win gold gloves this year. They're both finalists. We'll find out later who actually wins the gold glove. You put the ball in play against this defense, it was largely good. It usually wound up being good things. But where they're really missing a swing and miss. And now you look at this rotation, you know, the Cubs don't have any say in whether Marcus Stroman comes back. They do have say in Kyle Hendricks. I still think the Cubs are going to look to add one starting pitcher. And that could come in a lot of ways. You know, they're looking at Yamamoto out of NPB. That's he's going to be probably the hottest arm coming over. Well, he's going to be the hottest arm coming over from Japan. You know, he's he's got elite velo, great swing and miss, great movement on his pitches. And he's going to be in high demand. There are also possibilities that they go 
the free agent route, maybe signing or Nola, somebody like that. So we, we we'll spend a lot more time speculating on the who, but I think if the Cubs add a starting pitcher and there's also opportunities to trade, um, so they could trade for guys that maybe have been rumored or guys that we haven't even thought about yet at this point in terms of trade. But if they do add a starting pitcher, I think they're going to add swing and miss. When you go through, you know, I've kind of got some percentiles up here. I went through for this exercise for this podcast and I want to stick with percentiles. So this is where guys are in relation to baseball. So if somebody is 99th percentile, that's really good. That's top of the heap among the best in the game. First percentile, you're among the lowest. So we start right out. If we look at fastball velocity, you know, literally Kyle Hendricks is first percentile in baseball. I think he was the second slowest pitcher in baseball. Still effective, but again, for Velo, you look at the Cubs rotation, Hendricks is first percentile. Marcus Stroman is 15th, 15th percentile. Jordan Wicks and Justin Steele were 17th percentile. Smiley was 18th percentile. You know, there's just not a lot of Velo in that rotation. They had more in the bullpen. We'll talk about the bullpen in a few minutes. But then you get to, so they don't throw hard, so that they don't get a ton of swing and miss. And so when you look at the exit velocity, it kind of flips. So Kyle Hendricks was 98th percentile in baseball and average exit velocity. Javier Assad was 78th. Smiley was also 78th. Steele was 75th. You know, so those guys, the Cubs put together a staff that is able to pitch to contact and not give up a ton of hard contact. Now, some of it starts to flip a little bit. You look at hard hit percentage and I, I, for Marcus Stroman, he was 34th percentile. Some of that got skewed when he was clearly pitching hurt. Um, he got lit up in a few games, uh, his last stretch. But Javier Saad is a really interesting case. So when, when you start to line these up, he does not throw hard. He also does not give up big average exit velocities. You know, like I said, he's 34th, per- sorry, he's 78th percentile in baseball in average exit velo. But when you look at hard hit percentage, he's only 36th percentile. And when you look at barrel rate, he's 29th percentile. He gives up a good amount of home runs. You know, he gave up um, 13 home runs, and over half of those were measured as no doubters by fan graphs, which means that they would have been homers in all 30 ballparks. And you look at the walk rate. You know, Assad was 38th in walk rate. So it's it's kind of inexplicable what he's been doing. You know, his K rate is 33rd percentile in baseball, so bottom third of the league. But he has gotten it done consistently he doesn't get chase he doesn't get whiff when he gets he will give up a good amount of hard contact but on the whole he does not really get hit that hard that's something he's shown now we're still talking smallish sample sizes although it's a much better sample size than we had coming into 2023 you know he looked really good down the stretch in 2022 after he came up to start the last he probably made five starts over the last month of 2022 but we really didn't know we had. You know, that was a really small sample size on a bad team that was out of it. The team was playing well. That was good, but you know, it's, it's hard to measure a lot there. But this year he was pretty consistent. You know, for a while before his last start or two, I remember thinking and speculating. You know, if the Cubs made the playoffs and had to start in a uh, best of three wild card round, there was a point where I would have wanted to roll out Steele, Hendricks, and Assad. Now, maybe by the end it would have been, you know, Steele, Hendricks, and Wicks maybe. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of difference there. But the point is this rotation is built the way it's built. Justin Steele is an excellent pitcher. Up to his last about three starts, he was arguably the 
leader in the clubhouse for Cy Young. Not leader in the clubhouse. He wasn't in the clubhouse, but he he was among the certainly among the favorites, if not the favorite, before he had a rough couple starts and Zach Gallen really finished strong. Marcus Stroman had an amazing first half before he had the blister and then the the leg injury. And you know, hopefully he can assuming he's gonna pick up that option and be back, hopefully he's able to be the pitcher we saw in the first half. When he's at his best, he's not getting a lot of K's, he's not getting a lot of whiff, chase. But he's also not giving up hard contact either. He'll live on the margins. He plays with speed, just like you know, like Hendricks does. He's nasty stuff. When first half of the year, like everything was on the corners, everything was on the black. He was making guys look ridiculous, and he would he would get some. And Hendricks has done this too. He would get guys late on the fastball. But I think the rotation largely is what it is. Hopefully, they can add you know they can add one guy to be you know the number two, let alone the number one. But you know. Get Yamamoto, get Nola, you know, trade for who knows, you know, get somebody who's got some swing and miss, who can step up, maybe has a little bit more of that stature as as a you know top of the rotation guy. With Steele here, it doesn't even necessarily have to carry the pressure of being the ace. Like with that person could come in the season with Steele as the guy and they're number two. And if you if they can add one more person in that, you know, one two spot. And all of a sudden now, like a healthy Stroman is your three and Tyone is your four. I think Tyone's going to come back pretty strong this year. And Hendricks is a five. Like, that's a really solid rotation. Or if Wicks, you know, pushes his way in there, he pitched really well. I think that gives the Cubs a lot of options and will make them a lot better. Now, on the flip side, we can talk about the bullpen. And when we look at that bullpen this year, the Cubs were a lot better. I mean, the, the Cubs were, for as low as they were as a team and as low as they were, for the starting rotation in terms of case per nine. Now, again, let's recap that, you know, the team as a whole case per nine, we're 19th in baseball at 8.63 K's per nine innings. If you go to just the starters, the Cubs were 25th in baseball at 7.78. But if you look at the bullpen, the bullpen was third in baseball at 9.88 K's per nine. If you look at the walks per nine, they, they walked too many guys. You know, they were 24th in baseball, 4.19 walks per nine innings, you know, gave them a little over two Ks per walk, which is two Ks per walk is okay. But you know, the Cubs got to cut that walk rate and maintain the strikeout rate. The challenge they had in the bullpen and the, the numbers bear this out is the Cubs were, the Cubs were really relying on about five guys and there is velo coming. So the the five guys, obviously, it's Edward Azalai is the closer, Julian Merriweather, Michael Fulmer, Mark Leiter Jr., and Jose Quas were the guys that were largely relied upon to eat most of the big innings this season. And part of their breakdown at the end of the season, I've talked about a lot on this show, is the lack of developing really anybody else short of picking up Quas at the deadline to start mixing in and making that group deeper or you know, you look at some of the bullpens now and Arizona, Houston, like Philly, these teams have deep bullpens. If the Cubs were trying to go, you know, four guys through a seven game series, it's just not enough. Like starters, the Cubs don't have a starting rotation. That's going to go eight, nine. They have to be able to get through, you know, starting pitchers are going to get through six, maybe seven. And the Cubs are going to have to get two, three innings every game and you get in the playoffs and you're playing a three-game series, you're playing a five-game series, you're playing two seven-game series, if you want to go deep, that's a lot of innings to eat for four guys. 
four guys, five guys. So if we walk back through some of the percentiles again for velocity, yeah, there's velocity in the system. Now, Daniel Palencia is the highest for the Cubs. He was 97th and 97th percentile in baseball and fastball velocity. Julia Merriweather was 96th percentile. Luke Little was 89th percentile. Jeremiah Estrada was 79th percentile. Albert Azale was 73rd percentile. And surprisingly, Michael Brucker was 60th percentile. Now in the bullpen, Mark Leiter Jr. doesn't throw that hard. Jose Quas doesn't throw that hard. But they got by on other pitches. You know, Leiter, when he's good, he's got that split that just eats guys up, especially lefties. Quas is working on that slider. When he can locate that slider, he's really tough. But what I find interesting, so the Cubs have this velo that's coming up through the system. And I know the young guys were not part of that, other than Alzali, were not part of that young group that really succeeded, or part of that group that really succeeded in the bullpen. But remember, this time last year, Daniel, up until May, mid-May, Daniel Palencia was a starting pitcher in, I believe, double-A. Might have been high southbound. But he was he was a starting pitcher through starting pitcher into the month of May. So they quickly converted him to a reliever. And then he was up after the all-star break or before the all-star break by 4th of July, trying to throw key innings for the Cubs. And that, that's a big jump. You go from learning how to be a reliever to, you know, trying to fill some kind of shutdown role in the bigs on a playoff contender. Those are big steps. I think he showed some things this year. I think he's got some stuff to work on. I think probably after seeing what he saw this season, I'm sure he has a pretty clear idea what he has to work on and you know as he moves on through the off season. But I think he's a guy that I'm still really high on. Jeremiah Estrada struggled at the bigs. Um, certainly threw hard, has some good pitches, but he tended to get lit up. Now he didn't pitch enough to make percentiles on all these categories, but in terms of fastball, it's there. When he came back from injury at Iowa, it was only a few appearances, but by reports from, you know, voice of the Iowa Cubs, Alex Cohen, and just looking at the numbers, like he pitched really well after he came back from injury and Cohen and some of the others have talked about him adding another pitch. So he's somebody who I'm, I'm still pretty optimistic on um, long-term. So hopefully he can be a guy and Luke Little is a guy who showed some really good stuff towards the end of the season. He wasn't consistent enough, didn't throw enough strikes, um, but he's a big lefty who's got, deceptive velo you know 89th percentile in baseball is no joke the guy can bring it and he looks just smooth as can be like a nice easy smooth delivery and the ball just explodes out of his hand so i'm really optimistic about luke little going forward and when you go through you know exit velo you know again like michael fulmer now he's he's a free agent and we, we saw what happened with michael fulmer we, we heard about that this week you know the cubs used him a ton and kind of ran him out of gas, went on the IL, came back, had one effective, like he got out of out of a big jam, but it was a little bit rough as an outing, and then he went back on the IL with the dreaded, you know, forearm soreness, and, and as we found out, he did have a UCL injury, and he's already had surgery, a UCL revision surgery, which means it, he did not have it fully replaced again like you do in a Tommy John, but he did have repair work done on that um UCL. So he's not going to pitch in 2024. We'll see what happens with his career. I wish him the best, but he's certainly not going to be any kind of factor for the Cubs. But you know, when he pitched, he threw decently hard. Um, he's more in the, he was above average, but not, you know, when fan graphs or sorry, I was on baseball savant pulling these percentiles 
and the the top 40 percent and the bottom 40 percent kind of get highlighted in the the blue range the red range and the blue range and Fulmer was more in that mid-range he was 50th to 60th percentile but in terms of average exit velocity you know he was 92nd percentile in terms of you know hard hit he you know 95th percentile in hard hit rate which means he did not get hit very often you know he was good in barrel rate you know walk rate he walked a few too many guys especially early in the season when he was struggling but by the time he hit midseason and was throwing well like he was really good his k rate k rate was up there 78th percentile not as much chase as some of the other guys um but he did get a good amount of whiff so he didn't get guys to chase out of the zone but he did you know get a lot of guys to swing through those pitches and Julian Merriweather was probably – he was clearly the – I guess he and Alzali were the best in the bullpen, you know, when things were going well. But in terms of that guy that you want in that one big spot, not a pitch-to-contact moment, you want somebody coming in from the bullpen, throwing gas, that's going to get swing and miss. Like, that's Al, that's Merriweather. You know, he was 96th percentile in baseball and fastball velocity. Yeah, when he, when he got hit, he got hit pretty hard. So his – he was 28th percentile in average exit velocity. He was 40th percentile in hard hit percentage. He was pretty good on barrel rate. Didn't get barreled very often, but he did give up some shots. But when you get into, you know, walk rate, he walked too many guys. When, when he got, when he got in trouble, he was walking guys. And so that was, you know, he's 10th percentile in walk rate. Some of the worst of that came earlier in the season too, but you know, he's 96th percentile in strikeout rate. He was 65th percentile in chase rate. And he was 95th percentile in whiff rate. So he was a guy who could just go out there, line up against good hitters, and just blow stuff past guys. And the Cubs need more of that. You know, they, so they found him on the waiver wire. They picked him up from Toronto in December, I think it was. The Cubs will look for those prospects. but they And hopefully they can find some guys to develop. But they need to walk in next season with a stronger bullpen. I think given... Daniel Palencia, Luke Little, Jeremiah Estrada, the potential for Wisniewski in the bullpen or, you know, Wicks at times the, in the role that Justin Steele was in a couple years ago. Ben Brown potentially in the bullpen using Cade Horton late in the season. Like there are internal options, but the Cubs have to do better lining up the offseason to go in and get more reliable K-rate. As we put out there, you know, the, the Cubs bullpen K-rate was really good. They got a lot of swing and miss. But the problem was they didn't go deeper than four or five guys. They've got to be able to roll out. They've got to be able to reliably go six, seven, eight deep across the season. I mean, guys are going to be hot and cold, and so you're you're going to play the hot hand for a while. Then maybe that guy's not pitching quite so well. Back off and go in another direction. And you may really, at your core, have that four or five guys. You're going to have a closer. It looks like Alzale is going to be the closer. Let's walk through Alzale's numbers. So he's... Above average, 73rd percentile in fastball velocity. He does get hit a little bit when, when he gets hit. He, you know, he's 39th percentile in average exit velocity. But in terms of hard hit percentage, you know, it's 64th percentile. Barrel rate, he's 81st percentile. He'll give up some high velocity contact, but, he, you know, he doesn't really get hit hard or give up a lot of barrels. Um, his walk rate's really good. He's 92nd percentile in walk rate. And that may be one of the most underrated things in the closer. The last thing you want, you bring a guy in, you know, so much of today is bringing the closer in with a clean ninth. You're up one, one, two, or three runs, and just go get get me three outs without giving up those runs. Every closer is going to give up some damage at some point. You're going to blow some saves. 
but just don't walk guys. You know, you start walking two, three guys, walk the leadoff hitter. How often does that come back? It's just a killer. So having Azalei with that, you know, above average velocity gives up, you know, doesn't give up a ton of hard hits, doesn't give up a lot of barrels. And you also don't walk guys like that's a really good recipe for success. His strikeout rate is 74th percentile in baseball, 79th percentile chase rate and 65th percentile in whiff rate. I mean, that's just a good, solid way to start. Now, if the Cubs find a reliever who's maybe a better closer, I'm not opposed to it. But I don't I don't think the mission this offseason has to be to go find a closer. I think Alzali is fine. And I think the Cubs have a lot of supporting pieces in depth. But the Cubs have to go get effectively they have to go get what they were trying to get when they signed Boxberger and Fulmer. And Fulmer kind of got there, um, but they had overused him. Boxberger was hurt most of the year. They need to go get a couple more guys that you can just trust. You know, it deepens everything. You know, they're we'll see what happens with Mark Leiter Jr. Um, he's hitting his first arbitration year. Last This time last year, they were looking at putting him through the DFA process. He cleared waivers, was assigned back to Iowa. That's not going to happen this year. The Cubs are either going to, they're going to tender him or not tender him a contract to start. I can't imagine he'll be non-tendered after the year he had. Um, but it's possible because he, and it depends on, he lost his split late in the season. So it comes down to why he lost the split. If he lost the split because he was tired and now with a year, you know, off season, build up the strength, get used to throwing that kind of workload. And then also, um, you know, have a deeper bullpen where he's not going to have to make 70 plus appearances next year. That's great. Keep him, go through arbitration, do it. Or, you know, tender him a contract and then maybe he winds up traded somewhere. But if they don't tender him a contract, he's going to get signed somewhere else after the year he just had. But the Cubs probably have him in the mix. They'll have Merriweather in the mix. Hopefully they get Brendan Hughes back. You know, he's he was a big piece the year before, was injured, had the knee issue all year. He's now set up for a normal offseason. Ethan Roberts looked really good early in 2022 before he had to have Tommy John surgery. He's set up now for a normal offseason. We've been excited about Cody Hoyer. Um, after he came back from his Tommy John, he fractured that elbow. That's a big injury. It looks like he's going to be delayed start maybe more available in the second half of next year. We'll see how he's able to bounce back. But the biggest thing the Cubs need to get across the board is additional velocity, additional swing and miss. The Cubs are loaded with guys who pitch to contact and can do it successfully. And the Cubs have a good defense behind. But if the Cubs are going to get incrementally better, the difference in you know where the Cubs were, which was above average, obviously a really good run differential. We talked about that, but just missing the playoffs by two games you got to get better and they can't continue to overload that bullpen and rely on, you know, four or five guys. You've got to be able even if you give up a couple games in the middle of the season, you've got to be able to go deeper. You got to go six, seven, eight deep in the bullpen and the Cubs were not there this year. So that'll be the task for next year. Add some velocity, add some swing and miss. Hopefully they can, you know, bring up some young guys and start having a steady stream of supplementing arms. Houston's done that really, really well over the last seven years. There's always some rookie in their pen throwing 99 that is suddenly getting outs in the playoffs that we've never heard of before. That's where the Cubs want to be. It looks like they're moving in that direction, but they're not quite there yet. They're still going to have to go supplement with a couple of bullpen arms. So we'll see what they do, but keep watching the playoffs. 
And next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about offense. I want to break down the pitching this week, the offense next week, and then start to bring it together as the we head in the off season. So we're about a week away from being in the middle of the world series. And when the five days after the world series ends, that's when the off season truly begins. That's when options get decided. That's when guys declare free agency. That's when teams are able to now bid on players who played for other teams this year. So a lot to come. We'll get into a lot of it, but thank you for being with me today. This is great. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show. This podcast is also now a part of Bleacher Bunch Productions at the Fans First Sports Network. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!